All right, we're live. So thank you, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the GTM Kickback. I think this is number 40 we're slotted for it to be. Uh, number one go-to-market strategy and leadership interview podcast in the world. It's a really fine niche we've got there, but <laughs> we're taking the number one spot. Uh, today, we've got a really exciting guest, as always, uh, with Mr. Mike Hook. Uh, thanks for joining, Mike. How are you? Yeah, Joey, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Cool, man. Well, a little background on Mike. He's a multi-time GTM leader, organization scaler, a sales pro, and uh, a revenue leader and thought leader all the same uh, across a lot of different spaces, mostly in the B2B SaaS world. Uh, so we're excited to sort of dive into what you've done, sort of some of your successes in your career, Mike, what exactly you've taken away as sort of key valuable <laughs> nuggets in, in leading these teams and developing people underneath you. And I guess more specifically the topic of working as a GTM unit, a go-to-market unit with your peers uh, to help scale organizations like you've done in the past. So cool, man. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Cool, man. Well, um, let's just dive on in. First question I generally like to ask just to get a bit of brief on your background. Um, you're a full go-to-market guy, but I, I say more of a vertical is sales for you, B2B software sales. Tell me your first introduction to sales and then what exactly took you on the leadership and strategy route that you're on now. So my first true introduction to sales was door-to-door -door selling Cutco knives. Well, so yeah. it wasn't B2B. It wasn't software. It was old school, get out the phone book go to people's homes, set up sales. Um, and it was, that's a grind. So that was my first introduction really into sales. My first introduction into software sales came right after college where I was introduced to a company that was selling online payments to property managers and HOAs. And it's interesting, both when I was there, when I first started, when I first came to childcare CRM, I found myself getting involved in companies where I knew nothing about the industry itself, but technology was coming in as a big disruptor into an otherwise um, really antiquated industry that was mostly pen and paper and where something new was coming in. So it's been a really exciting journey for me getting into sales because of the way that the industries are structured that I found myself in. So it's not only you know, the technology aspect of it, it's fun, but it's really starting to get into an existing market, bring a new technology in, and then watching the evolution of those markets go from, you know, knocking out things like pen and paper, moving really into, okay, well, now there's a lot of competitors here. And now yeah. we're going from best in breeds and consolidating into all-in-ones and acquisitions and new strategies um, around how you pair multiple products and value propositions with that in. So it's getting into sales has been, it's been something that's, it's exciting. It's ever changing. And, you know, software is, is not going anywhere. So it's what always your, interesting where you land. What were your expectations of sales going in? Like even back to the Cutco knife uh, days going door to door, like what inspired you to want to do that? And what did you think it was? And what did you actually get out of it? So for me, I got into sales 
because I wanted to travel. I wanted to go see concerts. I wanted to make my own schedule. I didn't want to have people, you know, nagging me. I wanted to control my destiny. I wanted freedom to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted to do it, as long as I was hitting my numbers and make a bag of cash, Scrooge McDuck style, <laughs> while I was doing it. Oh, yeah. And that's what drew me to sales. That's what got me in. And I, I, I never left because I loved it so much. You know, when I got in, what I did not expect was how much critical thinking, how much listening, how much pairing and finding these unique solutions to someone's problems. Because while they're all the same at their core, there's little nuances all over the place. And I really didn't expect that, you know, as a 22 year old getting into sales, it was it's something nobody tells you about sales, or I should say 10 years ago, it's something nobody told you about sales. You know, you think about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, uh, always be closing coffees for closing. You think of like the slick back hair, used car sales, been doing shady financing. You know, that's what everybody always thought of sales. And unfortunately, it's still the connotation we have in a lot of areas, even though that's not at all what B2B software sales is about. It's about, you know, the former where I started being able to ask really thoughtful, good questions, helping people to come to the realization that what they have today is not working for them. While it might be easy, it might be comfortable, it's not effective. And being a source to help pair a solution, in our case, a technology solution that will help them solve that problem to be better than they could be before. So it's, you know, the way I describe it, it's a little idealistic, but at its core, you know, that's what makes it fun. And, and that's really something that, yeah, a decade ago, you told me you're getting into sales. I'd have been like, yeah, I'm just going to go be a slick talker. And it is anything, <laughs> anything but. Yeah, that's cool, man. The, the impression of it, I think, has changed over time, definitely. And uh, hopefully, and specifically the B2B SaaS sort of space, you're actually, I think, a bit more of a value add and a solution-based provider as opposed to, like you said, the car salesman with the shady <laughs> finance. Um, that's interesting, man. What made you want to go down the leadership route that you've taken these last couple of years? I know that's a bit of a pivotal moment for people in their sales career. Do I want to be this you know, rainmaker, individual contributor and sort of stick to my own, or do I want to help other people in advance and do that all the same? What made you the ladder. Yeah. So it was, I want to say it was right around probably like 2016, somewhere right in that area. We purchased a company. So we were selling online payments and we purchased the utility billing and invoice processing company. And as part of that purchase, we needed to figure out how to sell it. So what was our new value prop going to be? What's our new selling motion? What's our really go-to-market strategy with the team? How are we going to structure it, both from a net new business acquisition and also cross-selling into our base? So how are we going to structure the teams to go sell this and, and go out to market with it? How are we going to drive the strategy around the business, right? Like, where were we going to go? Who were our new competitors? What was the landscape? How are we going to demo this product? So I was fortunate that I got involved in these conversations with my VP, with our C-level executives. And I was really early in our company, one of the first to go and champion all of these things and then be able to bring it back to the team. Yeah. So in doing that, I discovered there are a couple of things that I really liked. I love the strategic thinking 
and building out the orgs and the strategies to go generate and build new business. So that side of things, like it started really getting the wheels in my mind going in a new way that doing it at an individual deal didn't. You know, when you start selling deals, you have some of those things and you have to do the deal strategy. But when you're doing it for a company and you're doing it for an organization and you're looking at the market and you're looking at the internal and external factors that could impact that, and you're looking at, well, who are the best people to go do this and really kind of whittling things down, right? Can we actually sell to everybody here or do we have to dial in? And once we do dial in, what's the messaging that resonates? What's the features that tick? What are the certain little nuances in our business that are leading indicators to a successful sale and a successful candidate? So I started using all these really new muscles in my mind. Yeah. It was so much more rewarding for me to do that and then be able to take that information and pass it back to the team and then see the team be successful. So it was one, let's do the strategy side of things, the messaging side of things. On the other hand, it was, I'm now getting to help the team learn these things. And I'm getting to watch other people be successful doing things that I've helped them do. And I'm starting to see the light bulb click in other people in the organization through that. And when you combine those two things, you know, at its core, yeah, strategy, that's for me. Other people's success, that's for them. But of course, it made me feel good. And, you know, that right there took me into the leadership path and made me want to go there. It took me several years to get there after that moment. Yeah. You know, I was kind of leading amongst the team before I actually took over a team myself. But that was, it was an itch that was scratched and, you know, it made, me, <laughs> made me want it even more. Good, man. Well, we talked a bit before about some of your, I guess, leadership style and methodologies and obviously by the sounds of that it's like you're someone that brings out natural leadership and developing other people underneath you how do you go about that obviously you talked a bit about like knowledge share process share and strategy share but really day-to-day -day, like what are your methodologies for helping that star on your team advance to his fullest potential or whatever it is yeah. And so it's not even necessarily, I think, the star on the team, but everyone on the team. It's setting expectations, setting clear, attainable goals, and then giving the tooling, the systems, and the coaching to allow everyone to go achieve those goals. So sales is really easy, right? It's cut and dry from a goal standpoint. And let me rephrase that because I don't want that to be misconstrued. Selling in sales is not easy. Setting sales goals and targets that is because there's a quota and a number to attain. You know, that's what you're driving towards. So when you think about it, what do people believe in? They believe in a greater vision. Like people aren't going to be like, oh, hey, I'm motivated by money. And that's it. That's not it. Like even take me. Money was a vehicle to get me the freedom to do the traveling, to go to the concerts. That's what motivated me. It wasn't the cash, although that was a part of it, but it was a vehicle. Right. So everyone's got these different motivations, but ultimately everyone wants to belong and they want to know that what they're doing is helping impact and positively direct the company. So we talk about cascading goals, right? You've got your company's revenue number that ultimately the net new bookings or expansion, depending on how your company's set up, will funnel down into the sales org. So it's how am I splitting up those individual goals for each rep and saying, here's your goal for the year. Now let's break it down into smaller digestible chunks. Let's tie this into your motivations. What do you want and how am I going to help you get there? 
And how is you achieving these goals internally at the company going to help you get there? And then from a support system, how am I giving you ownership over that? Yeah. That's the hardest thing. How am I giving you as an individual contributor, as a sales rep, as a manager, even, you know, even as a, as a leader, how am I giving you and empowering you really to take control and self-own the process? And then within that framework, okay, so we've got our quotas, we've broken them down into smaller digestible chunks. Now we're going to dive into how am I holding you accountable day to day and week to week? And that's where when people start talking about sales being a science and an art, there's a math of sales. So now it's saying, here's the conversion percentages that we know. We'll adjust them every 30 days for you or every 90 days based on how the sales cycle works. Maybe it's every year because we're looking at different things based on SMB, mid-market, enterprise level deals. And using those leading metrics as a way to guide the day-to-day. So you break down the bigger picture, you look at the goals, but you're actually managing to the leading metrics, knowing that that's what's going to impact the outcome and knowing that those are the coachable moments. So is your conversion percentage early in the funnel off, right? If you have 10 discovery calls and only three of them move into a demo phase, that's telling me that we need to work on your question asking. We need to work on your discovery. We need to look in, are you actually selling the right deals? Are you selling to the right ICP, right? So when you think about that, that's how you dive in there. And that's how you really bring out these moments where I'm, we're going to set up the tools. We're going to coach to what's behind the metrics, but I want you to own your own path. I want you to own your own success. And let's tie these internal things at our company as much as you can into the external things that you ultimately want to achieve. I love it. Well, there's a lot of coaching guidance and strategy, obviously you're here to provide, but down to the core. And I guess this goes back a bit more to growing teams. Do you think there's, uh, obviously there are, but what would you think or say the core qualities you look for in talent? Like when you see that someone's going to grow, you're either going to hire them or invest heavily in them in your organization. And like how can someone sort of advance those themselves? So I think when it comes to what I look for when I hire and sort of how I break things out, I'm going to be generic, right? There are different little nuances to every roles, but ultimately for me, I want somebody who's curious as a seller because Discovery is the most important part of any sales process you run, and it never ends. So I want someone who's curious about our prospects business. I want somebody who's curious about not just what we do and what we sell, but the bigger picture of the business. Because when we look at the bigger picture, we find that we can actually tie our solution oftentimes into multiple different areas of that business. It gives us a more well-rounded idea and allows us to have a better conversation. So curiosity, number one, I need that. If you don't have that, it's going to be really hard. Coachability is something that comes up all the time. But when we talk about coachability, it's the ability to be critical of yourself. It's the ability to take feedback. And then most importantly, implement that feedback that you're given. So that coachability is really big. Grit, I need it. Like sales is difficult. It becomes a grind. It's the only profession where you sign up to get told no more than you get to be told yes. And yeah. but ultimately, there are going to be bad days. 
And there are going to be times when you don't want to do something and you can't, and you're just going to have to plow through it. And so I need that grit. On the flip side, you have to be resilient too. And I think those kind of go hand in hand, you know, being able to bounce back when somebody tells you on the phone, go fuck yourself. Because <laughs> it still happens. It happens right? too often. So, yeah. it happens. so you got to be resilient in there. And then, you know, so those are easy, right? People will always talk about that. I said it before. I want someone who can critically think. We talk about, you know, IQ and EQ and how we're doing things. Look, ultimately, you need that curiosity. Hopefully, can bring a lot of that IQ EQ stuff out too. So I'm not. I'm looking for those in other areas. Not like you might see, like empathy. You need to be empathetic. Yeah, great. You have to be empathetic, but how are you going to get to that area? Like, I need you to be curious and that'll uncover that. Like, I need you to understand their business so that you can see where there is at. I need you to just have, you know, well-rounded critical thinking to understand, oh man, how can I help right there? So those are a lot of really big ones that, that for me matter. Um, There's a longer list. We can go through all of it, but yeah, I mean, I think when you talk about some of the top traits that I break down, though, I interview for those traits. Yeah, I make sure that I don't miss on those traits. Like we've got different little um, sort of internal things. I won't divulge all of them because, you know, that's, that's a whole nother conversation here. But, well, less secret sauce, more like it could just, we could talk all day about it. Um, <laughs> but different little, you know, obviously certain questions, little discoveries or presentations we'll do during our interview process just to help kind of flush some of these things out. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, let's divulge into sort of the other half of our topic. Um, you lean on and work cross-functionally uh, quite often, from what I understand, with the rest of your revenue team and, and go-to-market team, and uh, specifically marketing, customer success, and obviously a, a few others interacting there. How do you utilize these other teams and, uh, I guess, help them or have them help you with your team goals as well as align for organization goals? and then overarchingly, why is that important? <laughs> yeah. So first and foremost, revenue for a company is a weagle. Every department in the company owns revenue. Sales, marketing, CS, product, engineering, every single department. Mm-hmm. So when you start thinking about it that way, oh, how's product and engineering own revenue? Well, you got to build a product that people want to use. You have to build a product that people can use. You have to build the features that your buyers want, not that you think they want. You have to take their feedback and build the ones they actually want. You have to listen to CS and sales and make sure that if there's competition in the marketplace that we're building these things. And then, yeah, there's that innovation angle where you're building new things. You have to have that stuff. Churn right? Are we losing customers? Well, there's that churn in the first 90 days. Sales probably didn't do their part. There's the CS churn, right? Maybe we weren't proactive enough. Maybe our support wasn't doing a good enough job with ticketing time. There's marketing. Are we doing the right customer marketing, feature releases? You know, you could go on and on about how each department can impact churn. Everybody owns that number together. So when I think about building out something cross-functional, you know, you talk about churn, You can talk about pipeline, you know, and it cascades down from the top to bottom. Yeah. So every year, oh, sorry, you got something? No, I I mean, that's just, 
a lot to unpack. So I'm curious, how do you and I guess all those other leaders of the different verticals get each other to align? You know, that's a lofty goal. Obviously, it's it's simple at its core, but it's a lot of a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a lot of ideas and a lot of influence from different stakeholders. So how do you get people to align? Yeah. So we have at an executive level, right? You've got your goals for the company. What are our bookings goals? And oftentimes you'll see bookings, churn, EBITDA, like ENPS, employee satisfaction. Um, Every company's got their own. Those are some generic ones. There might be, you know, pull them in and out. NRR is another huge number, um, kind of a golden metric companies look at too. Sometimes that falls not in like a top metric for a company. It'll be more a departmental goal. Um, But sometimes it's a company goal as well equally important either way. So you think about that, right? What are our company goals? What are our departmental goals? And it scales down and it cascades down. So if you're saying, okay, here's the goals for the company and the business for the year, then it goes, what are the goals that each of the department heads have? What's your CMO have? What's your VP of sales have? What's your VP of CS has? What's your CTO have, right? And you take these goals and you break them down. Here's my primary goal. And then any secondary goals that you have, or if you've got multiple goals that you need to hit, you put them all cascading. And how do you impact all the other departments? So if you're setting up a VP of sales comp plan, you might be setting their variable comp up based on a percentage of that variable comp is the bookings number, net new or expansion if the VP of sales owns expansion revenue. You might be setting it up based on a churn number. So a bonus based on churn. So uh, 10% or less of 90 day churn, maybe 5% or less, whatever the company's metric is. So you give your VP of sales a churn number, and then you've got an employee satisfaction number that's tied to a bonus. And you, so sales, right? I know that's really easy, but you take that same model and you model it out from a comp plan for every other department. And then you get all of those departments to sit down and agree I own this. I'm comped on this. I own this. Now my comp and my bonuses are aligned. So that's the KPI that comes out of that or a similar or close KPI comes out of that. How do I impact that in my day-to-day and how does my team impact that day-to-day? Yeah. So a good example of like the interdepartmental workings of that is you might have marketing, marketing that's got a pipeline sourced number. Right? Let's say marketing owns 50% of your pipeline. Your, your bookings from that pipeline. Their goal might be to get, you know, 3X that in pipeline generated 50%. Well, sales now has to convert those opportunities, right? So it's also about sitting down and saying, when you have these mesh points with the departments, the leaders have to be really straight with each other on the expectation. Yeah. And you have to be able to have honest, difficult conversations with each other at a leadership level if one of you is dropping the ball, because again, it's about the bigger picture of the company, not about, oh, what are you doing? Or I'm the superstar. And, you know, I say company that goes down to the exec level. And then from there, those goals cascade down to the team. And everybody should know exactly where their number came from, how that number was generated, how it impacts the overall organization how it impacts their department and how it impacts the other departments too. We want a really well-rounded picture of how everyone works together. Yeah. I love how it seems like the theme here is just 
ultimate transparency and ultimate ownership for what everyone has agreed on at some given time. Would you say that's right? Yeah. And, and communication, right. To make this yeah. all function, you have to communicate really well. And you do, I mean, at some point you do have to have a little bit of a thick skin because it's not going to go perfect. Like there are going to be points where you drop the ball. Like, I am not perfect. I have dropped the ball. Nobody's perfect. Our CMOs have dropped the ball. Our CS people have dropped the ball. We have to be comfortable going up and being like, Hey, what's happening here? Not you messed up. Tell me about the situation here. Cause we've got bigger goals. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you gotta be able to communicate that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I guess real examples, how have you seen this actually come together from an actionable state and like, how quickly have you seen the difference in growth when a team really gets aligned like this, whether with yourself or your own companies or some of the anecdote that you've been a part of? Yeah. So, I mean, I think actionable stuff, like those cascading goals and metrics ring down, like you can go do that in your business right now today. Yeah. Like you can drive alignments with departments with shared goals that you might not think you normally have. Again, I'll take like the, the churn numbers or the NRR numbers or the bookings numbers, right? Everybody owns those. So I think number one, actual, you do that right away. Number two, look, sales and marketing are so tied together always. But here's a really good actionable thing that you can talk about right now. Marketing is working really hard to bring leads in the door. And so I sit down with, with our marketing leader and I'll say, okay, inbound leads, we've got a five minute CTA. Sales has to respond to inbound leads within five minutes of them coming in. Sales is expected to work any leads we don't get a hold of over two weeks. Like we better have like seven to 10 touches on an inbound lead over the course of two weeks. If we don't get a hold of them right away, you hold me accountable to that. If you're working hard to get leads in the door, you better believe my team better be busting ass to get a hold of them. So you like, again, that's a mesh point between the departments. So sales and CS, Sales, are you selling deals the right way with the right value prop? Are you setting the right expectations of our customers, our new customers, when we do the handoff to professional services, to the onboarding team? And are you providing them with the information they need about why they bought, what their pain points are, so that we can have that really good first conversation? And if all that's not there, why not? Like if we're, if professional services and customer success is getting lit up and onboarding and people are canceling and dropping out. Well, all of a sudden, yeah, you better believe CS is going to come back to me in sales and be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? We got to sell better deals. On the flip side, if we sell a deal and I see it sitting there for a couple of days and it's untouched, I'm going over to the CS leader. What is happening here? But we can have these conversations because we've all agreed upon the handoff and touch points and mesh procedures when we set our goal. And so we've really said, I'm going to own this. I'm going to own this. You're going to own that. You're going to own that. And I want you to hold me accountable to this. If I'm dropping the ball, you have carte blanche to tell me about that. Yeah. So it's ultimate accountability. But like you said, you can only do that if you set the expectations super clearly up front. <laughs> yeah. Know. And that's fair. That is I've been really fortunate. I've never been in an organization where this is truly poorly run. 
I've worked at organizations that have prioritized this and it's why I'm so adamant about it because I've seen it work well. I've heard anecdotes of it not working well. I've heard anecdotes of, you know, you've got a leader in one department who's talking to a leader in another department and they agree and one person does nothing and they won't own it. And they're like, oh yeah, it's great. And then just nothing happens. And all of a sudden, what happens? Well, revenue tanks because not everyone is rowing in the same direction on the ship. Yeah. And that's a, that's a killer. Yeah, that'll do you, man. I mean, those are all fantastic takeaways, but I guess to sort of sum it up, thinking about one of these anecdotes you've heard where it's not working, obviously people know this stuff. It's, it's uh, complex, but not incredibly hard and technical to understand. It's, it's a matter of action, I think, most of the time. Uh, what key takeaways or anything else on top of that in, in line with ownership, accountability, and just synergy can you say for anyone that's not having it working right now and wants to implement more of this methodology? I would say if it's not working for you right now, get comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. And I, I was having a conversation about this last night. So, so there's a sales community, Thursday night sales. And this topic actually came up really top of mind. What's happening when things aren't working? And you have to get right with having difficult conversations. So a framework that I use um, that I've learned is here's what I'm hearing from you. Like here, or let me take that back. It's here's what I'm seeing. Like this is me optically what I see. So for instance, again, let's talk about a good thing. Here's what I'm seeing. Professional services, customer operations is not getting the new deals we sell within two weeks. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm hearing. You guys are doing a really good job. You guys are following up on everyone. It's the customer's fault. So could you tell me and help me understand where the gap is? Right? So it's, let's have this really difficult, uncomfortable conversation with a peer. Right, because this is happening at a peer-to-peer -peer level. This is not up or down. This is peer-to-peer. -peer if things aren't working, like let's have this really difficult conversation using you know factual things that are happening in the business. Invite this person into the conversation, hear what they have to say, and then based on that response, be like, you know, we agreed earlier, or we're losing deals because of this. Here's the outcome of what's happening. We need to make a change. Can we do this together? It's about, you know, any time that I've in my, in my life, this is professional and personal in my life that I've had to have a, a tough conversation. It's weighed on me. As soon as it's done, it's very liberating and things actually start to happen after that. And if they don't, you at least know where you stand. So in a way, the best thing that you can do, the absolute best thing you can do is be able to have a difficult conversation and do it in a way that it's not attacking an individual, but it's about the bigger picture. I love it, and man. that will help have the conversations that can write the ship for when this isn't working. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. I mean, obviously it's a difficult thing to have the difficult conversations, but 
that's why it's so fruitful in the end. I'm, I'm confident of that. Well, uh, I know we're kind of coming up here on, on time and everything, Mike. So I want to say thank you and everything for the time and advice and, and value here, man. I know this is some pretty fantastic stuff and alignment between revenue departments and just all uh, departments, like you said, because it's so closely associated and everyone owns revenue in that organization, I think. It's a really valuable methodology that obviously you've seen help advance your career and your organizations tremendously. And I think a lot of other people have too. So hopefully we can all sort of take away from that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's a good, it's an important conversation to have. I don't think it can ever be overlooked. Yeah, man. Well, this is fantastic. Again, thank you for joining us. Is there anything, um, anywhere we can find you, anything you want to plug, anything else you think would be valuable? Well, no plugs, uh, no plugs here, but you can find me. If anybody's listening to this has questions after the fact, please hit me up. You can find me on LinkedIn, Mike dash hook, uh, Mike hook there on Twitter at Mikey M hook. Uh, you can find me there too. So any questions, please let me know. Love to have a follow-up conversation. Uh, nothing to plug here today. And other than Joey, appreciate you having me on, man. It's been a blast talking about this stuff with you. Well, Mike, well, thank you very much again, man. We'll have to have you back soon. All right. Later.